We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165 or check out the website at andyanddon.com. All one word, andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good to morning, see you all. Good morning, Scott. Uh, before we get anything, uh, start anything here, we should talk about the seminar coming up. Yes, coming up on November 21st. Now mm-hmm. that we're in November, yeah. uh, where's the time going? Yes, November 21st, Mastering Your Retirement. And it's going to be held at 10 a.m at RBG and 7 p.m. at the Ancaster Old Mill, going over lots of strategies on getting your retirement paycheck, um, tax planning, uh, Monte Carlo analysis we'll be going through. So again, it's so good to plan this out. It takes a lot of stress off you too, just having the peace of mind, knowing that you're doing the, you know, trying to create the most efficient plan you can Mm -hmm. for retirement. Uh, and again, November 21st, and you can book through uh, calling you or even through the website, I understand. Yeah, absolutely. There's right. a, a button there and a listener inquiry button. Just put a rate in uh, as we do all the time at andyanddon.com uh, or, or call the office. All right. Talking about leverage to get started today. Yeah, we are. And it, it uh, this happened during the week this week. I got a call from a, uh, a client of mine and and. I was kind of taken aback because it was an interesting conversation that ended up we talking about leveraging, and uh, and the situation was a, an 85 year old, and they live in the country, uh, and uh, he's married and still doing well, uh, and independent, cognitive, everything's great, so no issues there. But uh, they have a rental property on as part of their property mm-hmm. and uh, it was kind of divided into two sections and and so they've always had this rental property going on uh, for over 20 plus years and um, so he said oh my my mortgage is coming up for renewal on the rental property and I said oh that's great he kind of chuckled and he said well we only owe we only owe about $9,000 on it, so it's not very much. And uh, in fact, we're not paying very much, so it's only it's still going to take, it's about five years left on it to right. pay it off. We're just paying a couple hundred bucks a month. And um, But he said, it was, I had an interesting discussion when I phoned up the, uh, the institution, the bank that has the mortgage, and he said to me, well, they told me that I could just borrow back to the original Hundred. The original mortgage was one hundred and fifty thousand, mm-hmm. and they owe nine. And so the advice was: well, you could borrow back or re reestablish that mortgage back to one hundred and fifty thousand. We'll give you one hundred and forty one thousand dollars, and we don't have to do any paperwork for it because that mortgage of one hundred and fifty thousand is already registered on the property. Right. Wow. Yeah, it's already there. And eighty five, and he's eighty five years old. Mm-hmm. And so he left that meeting with the sense that suddenly he could create an additional tax deduction because any interest payment on the loan for the rental property would be tax deductible, mm-hmm. right? Against any rental income. And, um, and I mean, their net worth at this point is about $3 million. So they're certainly not, mm-hmm. they're not hurting for cash or cash flow and they're living a very comfortable retirement. And um, so, so he said, is that a good idea? Should I do that? And I'm starting to think about, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, Why? well, he wanted to get the tax deduction, right? Okay, right? right. So the interest portion of that payment on 141, the new mortgage would be, um, uh, tax deductible. Mm. And I said, well, you know, there's a number of issues here. 
and and I actually sort of came back to for IG's policies, uh, IG private wealth management, and our own policies around leveraging or borrowing to invest. Borrowing to invest, whether you buy a rental property or you buy investments, stocks, mutual funds, it's all the same thing. So he was going to use the this fund, th- this money to reinvest. Well, that was my that that became the question, right? Well, don't unless you're buying another rental property, yeah. you know, this isn't tax deductible unless you use it to buy an investment. Yeah. Right. Then and it sounds like he's already pretty much he, covered there. Yeah, he is covered. He doesn't <laughs> need more. I said, and he's eighty. Do you want to enhance your estate? Right. Yeah. This this became some of the questions. And I said, you know, what are you going to do with that money? And He's living to 125. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you look at the guidelines around leveraging, and, and it, there's no doubt that leveraging as a strategy, it, it, the numbers can make sense. But the guidelines in the industry, so there's our internal guidelines through IG Private Wealth Management, and then there's also the, regula- the regulators and what how they view leveraging um, at different stages of life. And for example, in our own policies internally, we you, you would have to have an incredibly strong case to even suggest that someone would borrow to invest over the age of sixty. Yeah. yeah. So that's so that was so he's eighty five. Yeah, so there was yeah. there was a quite a there was no gray area there. You know, yeah. he simply on our books would be too old. So was that's, it? Was but, but that was sort of he almost felt a little offended by that. He said, you know, I'm cognitively doing very well. I can make, you know, make, make decisions independently. And um, so you're telling me I'm too old to do this? So he kind of felt- Too old to make more money? Too yeah. old to make more money? Yeah. Yeah. Is that it seems, right? Seems like a little, little ageism there. It seemed and, like ageism. And I agree with that. Our, our head office has taken the stance, probably because of estates going back and saying, why is my 85-year-old borrowed money? Mm. And that's exactly what the next right. part of the conversation ah. started. So I said the reason that 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 the age it's not an age appropriate strategy is that more often than not, it's a problem is is that I asked him. I said, so how long are you going to live? Mm. <laughs> he kind of <laughs> laughed and he said, I don't know. But I said, well, I guess there's the biggest one of the biggest problems with borrowing to invest at age 85 is that it's absolutely a long term strategy. Yeah. You need a minimum of six, ten years is is even more ideal and 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 where it can go wrong is if you borrow a hundred thousand dollars and then the stock market goes down twenty percent yeah and not because you're not because you have a heart attack as it's gone down in value but just because of age <laughs> yeah. if you die mm. now your estate has to reconcile that account and it's going to show a loss of $20,000 mm-hmm. and the first thing your executors are going to say to myself or IG private wealth is you let somebody invest borrow $100,000 to yeah. invest at age 85 so we he, don't know how long they can live. Does the man still feel he needs to invest or is it he he wants Well the goal of it was it was tax motivated right. to start with. Right. And then I said, you know, here's another it, way to save tax. Is it important for you to enhance your estate because yeah. that's the only there are only two reasons really to do this and yeah. one, to enhance his estate. That's the only benefit, yeah. Right. And obviously getting some tax uh, benefits from that along right. the way. So right out of the gate. So he'd rather invest at 85 than pay tax. I like that I know. mentality though. Good <laughs> for him. Yeah. There's an optimist. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, Screw it. Tax, I'm going all the way. Tax, <laughs> I'm all in. We never, we never uh, leave a stone unturned when yeah. it came to tax for this particular client. Very motivated to minimize tax. And, um, Clearly. But, <laughs> so some of the other things that would be guidelines to, to that would be reviewed both by regulators and, bo- and internally within organizations 
an organization could be whose best interest is this in? And the regulators often look at leveraging as a way for an advisor to increase the amount of investments that somebody can make sure. by borrowing more. Sure. And so whose best interest was it actually in? And mm-hmm. you, as an advisor, you need to be able to demonstrate clearly why this was going to be in the best interest of the client. Um, debt servicing ratios are also a key component to this. And um, it's a little more strict on that. Typically, you can't pay more than 35% of your gross income uh, towards debt. And so, for example, if you made 100000 a year, you could have 35000 or roughly 3000 a month going towards debt payments. Right. But if your mortgage is 2500 bucks a month, then that leaves you $500 a month maximum that you could put towards a leverage type strategy mm-hmm. where you're paying interest on a loan or principal and interest on a loan. The next criteria might be, is going to be your net worth. You can't leverage uh, more than, uh, you have to have, uh, you can't leverage more than 30% of your net worth. So if right. you had a million dollar net worth, you couldn't leverage more than 300,000. Right. So 30% of your net worth, in this case, $3 million net worth, 900,000 would have been the limit based on that mm-hmm. restriction with no other debt. Uh, the next category would be your investment knowledge. And in, in general, when we ask somebody, when they set up an account uh, like this, what, how would you rate your investment knowledge? Mm-hmm. Would you say it's none or novice, fair, good, or excellent? And if you're novice or none, then you, you wouldn't qualify. You have to have at least yeah. a fair, good, or excellent investment knowledge. The next category would be your risk tolerance. And this plays into how a leverage strategy works is more often the case is that you're going to be buying higher volatility investments, higher risk investments. You want investments that grow in value, and I'll explain why in a, in a second. So your risk tolerance needs to be high. So on a scale of one to five, yeah, yeah. you've got to be a five. Yeah. You've got to be at the top. Uh, your time horizon has to be at least six, 10 years is preferable. And logistically, all of this, when you're leveraging, needs to be set up in separate accounts. And sometimes it can be done through sub-accounts in a line of credit. It can be done uh, by completely set, setting up a separate loan, a separate bank account to deal with the leveraging structure. And it's important to do that so that um, the know your client information can be and the risk profile of that account can always be tracked. And also, too, for uh, tax purposes, when CRA, if they were ever to audit your leverage strategy, you can clearly single out. You don't want to commingle your investments yeah. or anything to do with a leverage strategy. So keeping them separate and distinct is, a, is an important criteria. So on top of that, we have to do annual reviews of every leverage. And uh, and make sure it still makes sense. Has anything changed in someone's situation? Reverse mortgage lending. I know Don's going to talk about this mm-hmm. in our next section. Is not allowed. We have to do a, a a complete financial planning analysis through our financial planning software to show the benefit of the strategy. And uh, so, typically, if you think about it, the the concept: if you can borrow today uh, and make uh, at three and a half percent, let's say. If you've got an investment that you put that into that earned dividends of 3.5%, so you're paying 3.5% interest, now you have dividends or earning 3.5% interest, it's basically a wash. Yeah, you're not yeah. making any money. You're relying then strictly on the growth of the money. Right. 
So the more efficient way to leverage is to buy an investment that is growth oriented. In other words, it produces no income yeah. so that you get the full deduction of the interest. So if you took a $100,000 loan, for example, at 3.5% interest, you would pay 3500 a year of interest. That's fully tax deductible, $291 a month. If you're in the highest tax bracket, you're going to save almost $1,900 of tax. So your net out of pocket per year is... Um, uh, $1,628 a year. And if you look at that strategy over 10 years, if you could average 8%, your 100,000 would grow to 216. Hmm. Now you decide to collapse the strategy, cash it all in. How do you end up? You'd pay back the 100 grand because you only paid interest only. So now you're left with 116,000, which is a capital gain. Half of that's tax-free, half of that's taxed. 58,000 is included in income. At your marginal tax rate, you're going to pay about 30000 in tax. So at the end of the day, you're going to end up with about $86,000 left over. You've paid about 16000 in interest over the years out of your pocket. So your profit was seventy grand on $16,000 investment, hmm. which is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. It works out to a compound return of almost 30% per year. So when you look at the numbers, leveraging is exciting, but there's so many pieces and moving parts. It, you, it's a it's a very specified area. You need to talk to your financial planner to make sure it's right for you. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you. We're coming right back. This is Scott Thompson. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And don't forget about the website at andyanddon.com. And don't forget about the seminar. It's coming up November 21st. Yeah, November 21st. Uh, we're excited to be out again and show and meet people face-to-face. Mm-hmm. And, and on the 21st at uh, 10 a.m. in the morning, we're at the RBG in Burlington, Royal Botanical Gardens, 7 p.m. at the Ancaster Old Mill, Mass Mastering your retirement. And one of the things I was going to mention is when we're thinking about this process, there's three areas that we're one of the three, three areas that we're going to talk to people about longevity risk, how to deal with that, mm-hmm. inflation risk, how to manage that during retirement, and one of the other big ones, which is poor early returns. We call that sequence of returns. So Mm. if you get poor early returns at your start of retirement, how do you best deal with that as well? So November 21st is the date and uh, we'll look forward to seeing people there. All right. And you can register either by calling 905-529-7165 or through the website at andyanddon.com. Going to talk about reverse mortgages. Uh, Yes, we are. And it kind of- We hear about these a lot. Yes. And they're getting more and more popular. And it, and it kind of goes, you know, kind of with what Andy was just talking about with leveraging. Yeah. Okay. Except it's a little different. Now you're borrowing money on your house. Mm-hmm. So a normal mortgage, as we know, and there's tons of people getting mortgages these days, you're simply borrowing to buy a house and then you make payments. Okay. And that, those payments have to be matched to your cash flow. A reverse mortgage, on the other hand, you're now over 55 years old and you're borrowing equity from your house and you don't have to make any payments. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to make a payment until you either die, mm-hmm. the, the survivor passes away and there's uh, nobody left to own the house and that's when you pay back the debt or you, or you move. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the past, you know, most people wanted to avoid debt in retirement. It was almost like a taboo. Yeah. And these weren't the most popular. 
And uh, they are definitely on the rise. As of July of this year, there's $3.78 billion, mm-hmm. billion, um, mm-hmm. which is 26% higher than the same time last year. Mm-hmm. So there's been a massive growth in reverse mortgages in the p- last year. And why do you think this is? Well, we've talked about this lots of times. In fact, our seminar is going to be addressing some of these issues, but uh, people don't have pensions. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the pensions, those guaranteed pensions are declining substantially over the last 20 years. In fact, it's almost to the point that it's public service um, of some sort of a government job yeah, that has yeah. them. There's not too many private companies that have them anymore. Yeah. And if there is, a lot of them are, are on the, basically on the way outs mm-hmm. and they're, they're transitioning to the defined uh, contribution plans. Right. Um, indexing. A lot of the old, if you did have a pension, say Stelco, um, there was limited indexing or no indexing, which means your pension isn't going up with inflation. Right. So if, with you living longer, you finally start realizing you don't have as much money as you thought every doesn't at the end of as, each month. It doesn't, doesn't go as far as you it thought. It doesn't go. Mm-hmm. And that goes hand in hand with what Andy was talking about the seminars, longevity risk. Mm-hmm. When you're living 30 years after you retire, it's absolutely incredible. Even though you think, oh, it's only 2 or 3% inflation. Well, your costs have now doubled. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like a cancer that eats away your paycheck. And you don't notice it except all of a sudden you just realize, wow, that uh, that uh, McDonald's that we went to uh, cost double that it was to 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely interesting how the costs have risen. Um, one of the other ones that things that are almost necessary now would be cell phones. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, that wasn't even on the list. Mm-hmm. Now people don't have $25 phone bills. They've got $200 cell and satellite and cable and internet bills. So things have gone up and some of the things are actually just new. Mm -hmm. They weren't even on the list before. So the big one is, uh, to be honest, didn't plan well for retirement. They may have uh, earned a good income. They didn't sit down with Andy and I over the years, okay, Mm -hmm. or a financial planner, and they didn't have a great plan perhaps and they didn't have enough money. They didn't save enough for retirement and or, or they quit work too early mm-hmm. you know, because of health concerns. Right. So that's another one is they've, they've stopped working, they stopped earning income and it's amazing how that has an effect. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of reasons why these reverse mortgages are becoming far more popular. And one last one is uh, the cost of long-term care has gone up dramatically. Yeah. So people are saying, well, do I really want to get into some type of assisted living place, I might as well stay at my house now and pay less. Mm-hmm. Um, use the equity from my house to allow me to stay in my own home because right. it's going to cost me way more somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And there's some validity to that. But uh, at the end of the day, how does it work? You have to be over 55, as I mentioned, and you can borrow up to 55% of the value of your home. So the pros are basically, like I said, you can stay in your house mm-hmm. right until you, you're never kicked out of your house. Right. You do maintain full ownership. Mm-hmm. and control of your house, and there's no monthly payments. They just simply accrue. That sounds good, okay, but the bottom line is they are getting up there, so you're owing yeah. more and more every single day. Um, th- this is kind of interesting. When you get an income or this money from your house, you don't pay the income tax on it. So it's because it's your own money already. Yeah, yeah. You're just borrowing your own money, so you don't pay tax on it. But I went through their brochure from one of the, the people that uh, supply these, these mortgages, and that's one of the benefits they always mention. Right. But again, if you just borrowed money from your house and you you spent it, you don't pay tax on that either. So right. it's the same idea. The con and the big one is the interest rates currently are five point four nine percent. So you you are borrowing at five and a half percent, call it, versus if you just got a line of credit, 
you can usually get prime plus a quarter, which would be 4.2%. Okay, so there's a 1.3% difference in terms of your, your borrowing rate. Right. Okay, and if you happen to get a five-year mortgage, and uh, you would, you'd be able to get a five-year mortgage right now for 2.8. So it's interesting, if you lock up one with these uh, reverse mortgages, you're pr- practically paying double what the five-year mortgage rate is right now. Right. So that's where there are definitely there's money to be made yeah. by the suppliers of these. And it's kind of funny. One of the benefits, they said, oh, we'll simply just pay off your existing mortgage with the reverse mortgage. Because if you already have a mortgage on your house, this is, well, can I get one now? Mm-hmm. Well, I owe 100 grand um, and I've got a $500,000 house. No problem. We'll pay off your old mortgage and we'll give you extra money on top of that. Right. Well, they're paying you your 3% mortgage off with a 5.5% mortgage. Right. Okay. So not necessarily the best thing. So I, I actually went online and I checked out, okay, how much could I get if I were at different age groups? And say you owned a $600,000 home, which is a very modest home, say in you know Hamilton. And it, so you own a $600,000 home, you're 60 years old, and uh, you're a male. You could get... 180 to $221,000 as a 60-year-old, okay? So you could draw out 30 to 37% of the equity from that house. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're 75 years old, you could draw out 291,000 to 326,000. So that's between 48% to 54% of the equity of the house. So the older you are, the more you can draw out. Right. Because basically they're looking at the actuarial tables uh, how long are you going to live? Right. Okay. And how much risk is there for the person lending you this money? Because right. you're not making payments. Yeah. Um, and as a female, it's kind of interesting. You took a 75-year-old male, you can take out up about 54% of the max. If you're a female, you can only get 49%. Hmm. So you can get 259000 to 296000 The reason is, is females generally live longer. They live longer, yeah. Okay. So again, they're looking at how long you probably will end up in that house. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did a little bit of math and I thought, well, I know Andy and I have not been big fans of these over the years because mm-hmm. I'm always thinking there might be a better alternative. Right. And one mm-hmm. thing is if you are early in the retirement games or if you're still working, get a home equity line of credit. Get the most you can. There's no cost. If you don't owe any money on it, it's not a problem. Yeah. You don't, they don't, it doesn't charge anything. Mm-hmm. Just have it there in your back pocket because you're getting it at prime plus a quarter rather than this uh, substantially higher return or a higher interest rate rather. And so I looked at it and said, let's say you owned a $600,000 home and you had, and you wanted to say, okay, we're going to take out 150,000 in a reverse mortgage. Well, you lived there for 15 years. That interest, that 550,000 would grow to 285,000. So by the time you left that house, basically half the house Mm. is now going back to right. one of the companies and you got the other 300,000. Mm-hmm. If you use the home equity line of credit, it, you would have had to, you would have got 246,000 would have been your debt from the 150. So a savings of $39,000 in mm-hmm. 15 years. Yeah. That's, that's outstanding. Like that's a lot of money, $39,000 simply by using a home equity line of credit versus a reverse mortgage. Right. Now, if you happen to say, okay, I'm going to lock this in at 2.8%, which is the current lock-in rate in our line of credits currently, your $150,000 would have grown to 209000 Okay? So, again, this is now a difference of $76,000 to 
compared to a reverse mortgage. So what's this, what does this mean? Well, if real estate prices did not rise at all in that 15 years, and I guess some people would say, well, that's never happened. They always go up. Well, funny enough, that is not the case. Okay, go back to 1989. Back in 1989, it took 13 years to get back to even. Mm-hmm. If you bought a house in 1989, 13 years later for say 600,000, 13 years later be worth 600,000. Hmm. So there is some times where the markets do not rise. Yeah. And this, we've just been in a, kind of a very hot market recently. Yeah. Generally speaking, the average around inflation rates. It may be inflation plus one. But at the end, bottom line though, is the equity you would end up with this house 15, year later, 15 years later is 315,000 if you use a reverse mortgage, 354,000 if you use the line of credit, and 391,000 if you got a fixed rate. So substantially different. And it's kind of interesting, Garth Turner, um, he used to write an article a lot, and he says, oh yeah, um, reverse mortgage are a great strategy if you hate your kids. (laughs) 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 And you can see why, because you end up leaving a lot of money. There's a lot of cost to it. And if you have no other solution, there's no other way you can because you didn't plan this out early enough. And this is the key. This is, if you plan this out way ahead, you could use a home equity line of credit. Right. But if you all of a sudden just caught you off guard and you say, wow, I'm out of money. What do I do now? You've really limited your choices. Right. And the, these are an option. And for a lot of people, it makes more sense to stay in that house. Sometimes you need to do renovations mm-hmm. to sell the house. So if you spent maybe $30,000 on the house, the house might be worth another 60000 mm-hmm. So it's a good investment. And if, that, if that's the case, if it's only a shorter period of time, the interest rate really doesn't matter much. Yeah. But if it's a long way, long-term plan, uh, that interest rate can really eat up the um, value of your house. So looking at a bigger picture here, from 1999 to 2016, people that had debt as seniors has grown by 50%. Mm. It's just debt period. Yeah. Like, so like, like I said, going back to around two, the year 1999, most people didn't have debt as, se- as a retired person. Now they've, they don't think of it as that big of a deal, partly because interest rates are so low, mm-hmm. okay? Um, during the 17-year period, the average increase of senior debt was $50,000, of which two-thirds of that was mortgage debt. So most people are now retiring with a mortgage or they're getting a reverse mortgage, which is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, the average investor... Um, has had a very large increase in assets over the 17-year period. $500,000 is the average increase in assets. Mm. So even though you might be your debt may be rising, your net worth is going up substantially because basically your house has been going up dramatically. Right. So out of that $500,000 increase in net worth, 52% was your house value, which I'm assuming the other 48% was your investments. Mm-hmm. Okay? So... Alternatives to, to using a, a reverse mortgage would be home equity line of credit. Um, another one is just simply selling and investing the money. Okay, what if you sold that money and you invested it and you rented? Okay, that's another option. You don't sold, have to. Sold the house? Sold the house. Yeah, yeah. yeah you just yeah. sell the house. Yeah. You don't have to uh, live there. Uh, some, something to be said about actually getting rid of your house because I don't know about uh, you, but I know why my parents... 
when their parents passed away, there was so much stuff. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man. There is so much stuff to get rid of. So sometimes yeah. it's a cleansing. Yeah. If they actually downsize, they actually have to go through all this stuff. Yeah. And it, it's not a bad thing to do. Um, the other side is, well, you can sell and invest the proceeds in rent, or you can simply sell and downsize if you you can downsize. If right. there's a, you know, if that's a situation you're in where you have a bigger house than you need and, and the price makes sense to downsize. Okay. The other way of doing things is a lot of people are now sitting there with a, a half-empty home. Why not rent part of the house out? Mm-hmm. Okay. You, if you're looking for cash flow, and let's say you need an extra 1000 or 2000 a month, and your basement could easily be converted into a rental unit. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, what a great solution. People are looking for rentals everywhere. Yeah. And, and you've actually have somebody live in your house. If you're vacationing a fair bit, mm-hmm. it's not bad to have somebody at your house anyway. Yeah. In fact, I just had a, a client of mine. She's vacationing for three months, and she's going to rent her house for three months. Yeah, great. And, yeah. you know, perfect idea if somebody's going to do a major renovation, they can live in it three months. But why have this massive asset mm-hmm. without earning an income? Yeah. Okay. Um, and lastly, is just have a great retirement plan in the first place. You know, sit down with a financial planner way before this. And again, going to our seminar, like there's so many things that people aren't thinking about. And unfortunately, people often think about their retirement while they're in retirement. Yeah. And the planning that goes ahead of time so that you can have a, a very efficient retirement. So you don't have to have your back against the wall saying, oh boy, I'm out of money. I, I have no other choice but a reverse mortgage. Well, talk to a financial planner. There may be other choices. And I, as, I, as I mentioned, here's five different ways you can get around it. It's not to say that a reverse mortgage isn't the answer. It might work for your situation, but there might be alternatives. And I I can't stress it enough just to go through that meeting because it, it, it can just uh, take that stress off you. Because quite often, if you're only talking to a person that sells reverse mortgages, that is the only solution. Yeah, okay, <laughs> There's no other one. And so as Andy was going through leveraging for seniors, uh, this is really a leverage for seniors at a very high interest rate. So like I said, it's it's gonna decrease your inheritance that you're gonna leave to your kids, mm-hmm. if, if that's the case. And there might be other alternatives. Speak to your financial planner. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy, uh, I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now and reserve your spot for the seminar coming up November 21st at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Two ways you can sign up for the seminar coming up November 21st. Absolutely. There's no reason. You can email us through the link here on the CHML yep. webpage, right? Planning for mm-hmm. your, your financial future. Uh, listener inquiry button. That's an excellent way. Leave your, uh, we'll have your email address obviously, but tell us which session you'd prefer to attend. Mastering Your Retirement at the RBG, 10 a.m. in the morning, or uh, Ancaster Old Mill at 7 p.m. in the evening. Or you can call us right now on the weekend at 905-529-7165. The voicemail system, you can leave the same information there. Callback number and your email would be great. We'll confirm that you have a seat and that you're in. November 21st. Going to talk about GICs here. 
Yeah, this is something that still is a, it, it, it's still a popular investment, and um, it's certainly pushed by banks and financial institutions because uh, you know it, it's it was sort of the bread and butter. Uh, for years and years, and um, I think that the 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 interesting thing is that many investors have the impression that they pay no fees when investing in a guaranteed investment certificate or a GIC, as right. it's often called. And the, the 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 truth is is that the interest paid on a GIC is much much less than what the bank earns because they turn around and invest that money or loan it out. It could be sure. in the form of a personal loan. Mm-hmm. It could be in the form of a mortgage, et cetera. And so the difference between what a bank will pay you for a GIC and then what they turn around and use your money, doesn't just sit on a shelf. They sure. use your money, loan it out. That's called the spread. Mm-hmm. And the spread is sort of an opportunity cost. So it's the amount of money that is earned by the bank to boost their profits, mm-hmm. okay? And um, so even though you don't pay a fee in the sense of a dollar amount for your GIC certificate, the bank is clearly making significant money by using right. your money. Right. And so that is the fee. And so the alternative is, well, why wouldn't you invest in the same thing that the bank is doing? Mm. So it's not easy necessarily to set up a loan system or a loan structure for your money with somebody else. Uh, but, um, you know, from simple, you can look at a mortgage-based mutual fund, or these are called income uh, funds, monthly income funds. They often have a significant amount of residential mortgages in them. So you're earning a rate of interest relative to what current mortgage rates are. Right. So it will fluctuate. So that's one difference than from a GIC, right. but it's going to be a higher amount of interest yeah. based on mortgage rates, not GIC rates. Um, and so, uh, and certainly people will go through lawyers to arrange uh, second mortgages or even first mortgages where basically a contract is drawn up and a full out mortgage on a property, you've lent the money and you are now uh, collateralized on that property until that mortgage is paid off. Again, making the same amount of interest uh, or that the bank would be making, right. you're not paying the spread. Right. And so if we were to look at um, an example, let's say somebody bought a $100,000 GIC. And in this case, the, they were willing to pay you 1.75% per year. So on your $100,000 over three years, uh, you'd make 1750 in year one, 1750 year two, 1750 in year three for a total of 5250 But what's going on behind the scenes is that the bank has now loaned out your $100,000 in a combination of personal loans, mortgages, and so let's assume that they can earn 4.45% on your money. So each year, year one, they make $2,700. Year two, they make $2,700. And year three, they make another $2,700. And now you want your money back, right? So at the end of the three years, you get back $100,000 plus $5,250. The bank, during that same time period, earned $8,100 on your hundred grand. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the actual breakdown then, you've got uh, almost 61% of the profit was paid to the bank, and you only got 39% of it. So how much risk are you taking on if you bypass the bank and direct 
your investments right, right into a mortgage, mm-hmm. right? And so um, clearly, you know, you want to do proper underwriting on a property if you're using a lawyer to place a mortgage. If you're buying a mutual fund, you hand over all of that responsibility. And so it's very simple, mm-hmm. but you pay a small fee in that mutual fund. So you right. might lose a percent, but you're not going to pay as much as you would by using the GIC. Now, we haven't even got into tax implications of what a GIC does, and today you find it very difficult or hard-pressed to actually make a rate of return over and above inflation by the mm-hmm. time you pay taxes. I know we were probably just looking at uh, what the rates would be on a one-year, one-year, two-year, three-year, four-year, five-year GIC. Right, and a five-year GIC is paying about 2%, mm-hmm. and you're getting about 1% on a uh, sorry, what, about 1.2% on a one-year GIC. Yeah. So it's kind of the range, nothing particularly good. And again, that's all interest that's taxable too. And inflation today is about Rump 2%. Two. Mm-hmm. So you're literally going sideways yeah. in terms of just a straight up measurement. But uh, in general, and this has been the case for many years now, that the after-tax return on a GIC is below inflation. And it's hard for people to believe that. They're actually going backwards or losing purchasing power, but they're literally shrinking the value of their net worth if you have too much exposure in GICs. Uh, And not only that, I mean, in a recent estate that I was helping a client with, the uh, mother-in-law had 23 different certificates that involved paperwork that that has still in the process of being handled. So GICs... The more you have, the more complex it gets for your administrators or your power of attorney, whoever's going to take over this. So just be careful. It's it's the right investment maybe for a piece of your, your puzzle. But again, meet with somebody, meet with a financial planner, talk about your estate situation and your GIC is the right investment. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now and book your spot for the November 21st seminar, 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. And you can also uh, reserve your spot for the seminar yeah. November 21st. November 21st, 10 a.m. at RBG and 7 p.m. at Ancaster Old Mill. And yeah, we are excited. We are, it's always great to see some of the listeners mm-hmm. show up. A lot of great questions. That's the one thing I, I, we do find over the years is rather than say the general public that comes, we the, the listeners that do come, they've already you know they've taken a few few notes over the uh, yeah. number of years, and they come well equipped. And these are great questions. Some that you know we, you may not get over the air. So show up at the seminar, and, we're, and it's a lot better to see it. You know, visual. I don't yeah. know about you, but uh, I'm a bit more of a visual learner. So when you actually see some of the charts, um, something like the Monte Carlo analysis is amazing. Mm-hmm. And that chart alone is, is worth the price of admission just to see that. <laughs> it, it really is incredible how the volatility of, the, of, of your investments can have a dramatic impact on, on how long your investments will last, even though the return's the same. So we're going to go over that. So yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing everybody out there. And what is the cost? It's the same cost as always been. Uh, Free. Oh, we actually we actually you supply the coffee. So yeah. There you go. There's a return on investment. That's yeah. it. All right, gonna talk about chasing big returns here. Yeah, well Andy was just talking about GICs and I you know, I actually I was off on the uh, the one year return is one point four five for one year currently and two percent on a five year. And that's just say a normal bank 
one that I saw found online, you might be able to get a little higher rates. At the end of the day, as Andy mentioned, 2% is inflation. Yeah. So if you're getting 2% in a GIC, you gotta pay tax on that. And if it's a registered or in say a, a TFSA or an RSP, you don't pay tax, but still you're not gain, gaining any ground. Mm -hmm. So the next choice is why don't we chase the big returns, put it in the stock market, mm -hmm. let it roll. And it's kind of funny. As soon as you say stock market, there's this feeling like, oh yeah, my grandparents lost money in the stock market. Mm. What the heck is a stock market? It's this place where you lose money, according to my grandparents in the 30s. Yeah. And what it is, is owning shares of big giant companies. So if you own shares of Royal Bank, the ones that offer those 2% GICs, or, or any other bank for that matter, well, now you're owning the banks rather than lending money to the banks. Right. Okay, so when you put money in a GIC, you're lending money, because that's what, that's what interest means. There's a, there's a loan taking place, you're lending it, and they're paying you interest. Owning it, you now are a shareholder, and you're gonna go up and down with the profits of that company, whatever it might be, Coca-Cola, Apple, who knows what it is. At the end of the day is, we don't know which particular stock to buy, but if you do buy a well-managed mutual fund or an index fund or something like that where you are basically taking on the markets, you will get a very predictable rate of return. And so well, what do you mean predictable? I listen to the, you guys, you, this, the market's going up and down like a toilet seat, basically. You know, Trump gets on there and tweets something and next thing the market's down. Yeah. And it says, absolutely. But that's short-term volatility. And this is where you have to look at longer term. If you're looking at five-year periods of time, it's absolutely incredible how predictable the markets are. But yeah, if you look at it quarter by quarter, you'll drive yourself nuts. Never mind day by day or even or within the day. Things can happen so quickly. And those shorter term traders, they're just simply betting. That's gambling as far as I'm concerned. So take a look at a long-term benefit of not jumping in and out of the market. Because like I said, if you look at it over 60 years, basically two thirds of the time the market is, is going up in a one, one day, week or year, the market goes up two thirds of the time. But the average has been basically inflation plus 6%. Mm -hmm. Okay, so as long as you look at the longer term, you're going to get closer to those inflation rates. But if you look at, okay, over the next five days, there's likely going to be three on average, three positive days, two negative days. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. So it is anybody's guess. And, you know, Andy was talking about, you know, leveraging in the first section of this, uh, of today's. And you look at that and the volatility of that, if you're trying to gamble with your own money, and putting it short term. You can imagine people that borrow for it. And this is interesting. I was looking at, had you put, say, you borrowed $100,000. Now, what was, there's a few financial planners in the last decade that suggested you borrow some money and you let the investment pay the loan payment. Mm -hmm. And I said, that couldn't be more risky if you want to be. Yeah. Because now, if the market's starting to drop, you're now selling shares to make the loan payment. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, that's exact opposite. We're using cash flow to make loan payments in an investment loan. And that's the only way to do this because I do know, unfortunately, of a few occasions where there was so, such as the 08 or 09 market crash, you go back to, and that's really, when I say crash, we'll get to that in a second. But the bottom line is when it goes down and you're pulling money out, you're selling the investments when they're down. Yeah. Terrible way to, to make payments. Okay, and, and it ended up, they actually demolished the whole thing. And they, uh, in, in all the cases that do that, they end up imploding. Mm -hmm. And it just, they just don't work. So there's this one chart we have, and it's a fantastic chart. It just basically goes over 
every year and shows, and they put little stocks each year, whether it was negative 30%, negative 20%, negative 10%, zero to 10%, and then on the positive side, 10% up, 10 to 20, 20 to 30, and 30 to 40% increases in your in the rate of return. It's highly stocked to the right of zero. Mm-hmm. You're, you're seeing about two-thirds of the years are positive. Well, you go back, if you looked at 2007, it was actually the return was between zero and 10%. I don't know the exact return, so it got a little block right in that section. 2008 is the worst one in the past, uh, well, this goes back to 1948, so it goes back, and it was the negative to 30 to 40%. Well, funny enough, which was the, the most positive year, plus 30 to 40%, was 2009. Mm. So on one end, you're losing, the next end, you're, you're winning, but this is why I said, if you looked over the five-year span, it's very predictable. And so when you're looking at your financial plan and the longevity risk, do not ex- exclude this asset class. This is one of the few asset classes that will beat inflation after tax and help your retirement. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and book your spot for their November 21st seminar at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Scott. Thanks very much.